Good evening and the Lord be with you. Please be seated. And uh, let me pray as we begin. Most loving and forgiving Father, thank you Lord for it's good to be gathered together this Sunday evening as we read and meditate and think about and ponder on the words spoken by your Son, Jesus Christ. And as we hear you speak to us through his words, we pray for your Holy Spirit to open our ears and to open our hearts to you. And now as I speak, may your Spirit guide me to speak your word faithfully. In Jesus' name, Amen. Once again, good evening. Welcome to church as we continue with our series on the Gospel of John, beginning on page 1063 of the Church Bible. And in the center of the bulletin is a uh, sermon guide which you might find helpful uh, to guide you as we ponder over these words. Uh, just to notice how in the sermon guide, between the introduction and the conclusion, I've divided the passage into three parts, which may not be uh, like the ones that you have seen before, but I've chosen these partitions to highlight what I believe are some key learning points for us. So as an introduction to our passage, let me just go back briefly over John 6 and review two aspects that will help us in our uh, meditation this evening. Firstly, reasons for coming to Jesus uh, as stated in John 6. Our pastor Andy two Sundays ago pointed out that the reason for the crowds coming to Jesus was because they saw the miracles that Jesus had performed among the sick and they wanted to see more especially as it was the spring season that coincided with the religious feast of Passover, um, they began to feel that uh, they were reminded of Moses, the great prophet of the Exodus. And that also renewed their passion, their ancient longing for the appearance of a prophet like him, who would lead them to victory over their enemies just as Moses did 1,500 years ago. And last week, our brother Vincent showed us that the crowds continued to want more. And in fact, Jesus had managed to escape their notice as they had gone over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And when they found that he was gone, they followed him anyway to Capernaum. Perhaps deep inside them, they still haven't given up the idea that they could make Jesus the king they wanted and use him to serve their selfish purposes of victory over the Romans and give birth to a new golden age of Israel. So why do the crowds follow Jesus? Well, first of all, we know something. It has nothing to do with Jesus. It is all about themselves. And they just want Jesus to be who they want him to be so that they can make the desires, so that he can make the desires come true. The second point that we want to go back over John 6 is, who was he? The question, who was he? Who is Jesus from the first 40 verses of this chapter? Shall we see what the crowds who chased after him think? Well, in verse 2, he is the great healer who heals the sick. And in verses 10 onwards, he has the power over food and drink and can multiply it, a little bit of it, to feed thousands of people, men and women. And in verse 14, he must be the prophet prophesied by Moses. 
And in 15, verse 15, they want to make him their military king. And in verse 25, they call him rabbi, recognizing that Jesus is indeed a great teacher. Now let's listen to what Jesus has to say about himself, about who he is, about what he has come to do. Verse 27, in this verse, Jesus says two things about himself. Firstly, he is a son of man who provides the food that endures the eternal life. And he used a title found in Daniel 7 to describe the human being to whom God will give all eternal power and glory and dominion on judgment day. And the second thing he says about himself is that on himself, Jesus, God has set his seal, the seal which is God's sovereign endorsement, his royal mark, if you like, his approval. And we continue in verse 33. Jesus said, he is the bread of God who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Amazing claim. In verse 35, he is the bread of life and whoever believes in him will never hunger or thirst. Another amazing claim. Verse 37, he is the one to whom the Father has entrusted his people. 38, he has come down from heaven. And 30, 30, from 39 to 40, Jesus said, he will give eternal life and raise all who believes in him on that last day. You see, friends, the vast difference between what the crowds um, expect or what the crowds look forward to and crowd after him and the way that Jesus sees himself and has come to teach them. And, and this is why this gap of understanding that leads us into this passage, uh, verses 41 to 58, that you can find beginning on page 1063. For in this passage, the same enthusiastic crowd that has been hunkering over him, as the Americans would say, have been chasing after him, begins to find fault with Jesus and begins to turn away from him as they reacted against, first of all, who he claims to be. So in verses 41 to 47, they reacted against Jesus for who he claims to be. Verses 41 and 42, let me read. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And friends, notice how similar the crowd's behavior is to that of their forefathers when they confronted Moses in the wilderness during the Exodus period. When things did not go their way they wanted, they grumbled. The water was bitter, cannot be drunk. There was no bread and meat to eat, so they are going to die of hunger. When they faced fierce opposition from the people of the land they were passing through, well, Moses had brought them out into the desert to die and so on and so on, and complaining and murmuring when things do not go the way they wanted. Now, in this passage, they were reacting. They are reacting against Jesus' saying he came down from heaven. In fact, if you look back at verses 32 and 40, Jesus claimed something more. He claimed that God is his Father, indeed a sacrilege, a great sacrilege in the ears of the Jews. In other words, Jesus is claiming to be divine, sent down from heaven by God his Father to be the bread of life for those who believe in him. Now, familiarity breeds contempt, doesn't it? 
And from various accounts in all the four Gospels, we know that Jesus and his family are well known in Capernaum, which had become his base for some periods of his ministry. And because they think that they know who he is, this is all the more reason why the Jews are offended by him. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? And Jesus' response is that it's quite pointless to grumble and complain. We read this in verse 43. Jesus said, do not grumble among yourself. It is not about you. It is about God's will and God's work that needs to be done. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. This is how it works, Jesus explained. Verse 37, those who come to me are those whom my Father gives to me and the result is I will never cast out or I will never lose any of them. And verse 44, if you don't come to me means that my Father didn't draw you to me. But those who come to me, I will raise up on the last day. This is what Jesus said. Now, some of us at this point may be thinking in our own human way that this is really unfair, isn't it? Well, let me illustrate it this way. Um, illustrations do not show the whole picture. It's just an illustration. But let me illustrate this to you. There is this place on the old road to Rawang that has got the most amazing Assam curry fish head. And the more sour it is, this curry Assam, Assam curry, the better it is for me. And friends, unless somebody brings you there or Google brings you there, you will never get to eat it. But even when Google or someone brings you there, you may not want to eat it for whatever reason. First of all, you don't like chili, la, or you don't like curry asam, la, or very simply, you don't like to see the fish head eyes let me say that again. Or simply, you don't like to see the fish's eyes on the fish head peering at you from the curry. But for those who eat there, they will never forget it and will want to go back for more, like me. Now friends, that was just an uh, illustration. Now friends, you know, Jesus, because the Father draws you to him, Jesus is available to everyone, but not everyone knows of him. Or even when they do, they will not want to avail themselves of him or to have anything to do with him. And Jesus goes on to explain something else. He adds one more point. It's his quotes from Isaiah 54 verse 13 uh, that he is repeated here in verse 45. He said uh, that the Isaiah had promised the restoration of Jesus uh, from Israel from her exile in Babylon and how in the place of God's anger, wrath, and judgment, there will be his never-ending faithfulness and love. How in that day, the Lord himself will teach Israel to know him, to know his greatness, and to know his almighty power. But the picture that Isaiah had painted did not fully materialize. Jesus explains, the picture that the prophet had pointed to can only have its final fulfillment when Jesus comes into the world. And it is those who believe in Jesus who will then have eternal life. He says this in verse 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. That makes the crowd's hostility to increase as Jesus explains what he has come to do. 
in the, in the next part of our passage from 48 to 52. Let me read 48 to 50 for you. Oh, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Oh, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Now, friends, we all know the Exodus generation had all died 1,500 years before the birth of Christ. They have been kept alive for a while on the manor, but as with all living things, they died. But Jesus said, if you eat of the bread that comes from heaven, you will not die. Now, I want you to pay attention to this, friends, as this is important, and we will come back to it very shortly. Look back with me to verse 47, and let me read it to you again. 47 say, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And I'll put it side by side with verse 50. And this is what Jesus said. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. So, eating the bread, what Jesus is saying is that eating the bread that gives eternal life is the same as believing in him, which leads to eternal life. He uses a metaphor, a figure of speech to compare two things that mean the same thing. Eating the bread that gives eternal life is the same as believing in him or trusting in him that leads to eternal life. He repeats further in the first part of verse 55, uh, verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. You see, again, Jesus is reinstating something. Eating the living bread from heaven that is believing in Jesus leads to eternal life. But there's something else that he is going to teach in verse 51, and this perhaps is the most important part of this passage. He continues in the last part of verse 51. He says this, And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. For the Jews... Jesus has just made things even worse. Is he recommending cannibalism by any, any way? Well, no. And Jesus is pointing towards two important things. Firstly, he will give the bread he has been talking about in exchange for the life of the world. What theologians call vicarious exchange or vicarious atonement, giving something else in the place of what would otherwise be required or demanded. And in exchange for the life of the world, Jesus must give himself the bread. The second thing that is in this passage is that the bread he has been talking about is his flesh. Now, where have we seen this flesh before? Let's quickly turn to John chapter 1, verse John chapter 1, verse 14, on page 1056, and we see where this word flesh first came in. I read to you, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It becomes clear when you read John 1, 14, that Jesus is directing us towards who he is and what he has come to do. He is the pre-existent God the Son who took on human flesh. The work that he has to do in order to save the world is to give his flesh. He will give his own life, in other words, 
for the life of the world. He is the vicarious atonement for our sin against God. And how will he do this? Jesus will do this when he carries our sin on the cross and died so that we, believing in him, can have eternal life. All this is very offensive to the Jews who do not or refuse to understand what he was saying. In verse 52, we, we read this, that the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? That leads Jesus to explain uh, in the last part of our passage, 53 to 58, the true meaning of eating Jesus' flesh. And this is what Jesus says in 53 through to 55, firstly. He said this, Truly, truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Well, friends, remember previously when we put two verses together, 47 and 50, and we said we are going to come back to it? Well, this is where uh, we are going to make use of it. We saw that uh, Jesus uses a metaphor or a figure of speech to clarify what he meant. And using that same figure of speech here, we see that Jesus teaches us that it is not from the literal eating of his flesh or the physical drinking of his blood. Rather, it is believing in Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior that will give us fullness of life now here in this life and in the age to come, an eternal life with him. Why is that so? Jesus went on to explain further in the last part of our passage from 56 to 58. This is what he says. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Uh, as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So, the answer that Jesus gives is that we who believe in him has union, has relationship with him. And in that union and relationship, we share the relationship of God the Son with God the Father. As the Son has eternal relationship with the Father, so those who are in union with him will also live forever in this same relationship. Let me go through that once again. The answer Jesus gives is that we who believe in him has union or relationship with him. And in that union or relationship, we share the relationship of God the Son with God the Father. As the Son has eternal relationship with the Father, so those who are in union with him, like us, will also live forever. Now, friends, just to note, that Jesus here did not speak of the Holy Spirit. However, you know that in John, the, the Gospel of John, the Holy Spirit is a main theme. And though not mentioned here by Jesus, he is an inherent and inseparable third person with whom uh, believers share in the eternal relationship in the triune Godhead. 
So in conclusion, friends, what can we bring home with us today? I think first of all, well, we can understand the Lord's Supper a little bit better with John 6. And, and we see Jesus using different words here to describe eating his flesh and in describing, in describing the eating of his body that he uses in the synoptic uh, uh, Gospels. And it is important for us to understand, therefore, that here, Jesus speaks of faith in him personally as the bread from heaven rather than the physical elements of the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine. And those who believe in him thus partake of him. That is to say, eat him as if eating the bread that gives eternal life that we see just now in that figure of speech. To emphasize, it is useless to come for the Lord's Supper without believing in Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. Let me repeat that once again for you. It is useless to come for the Lord's Supper without believing in Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. The physical bread and the wine will not give eternal life to you. This is not what Jesus teaches here in John 6. That's the first thing. Secondly, we can better understand Jesus as the atoning sacrifice. Because once we believe in Jesus, we partake of the Lord's Supper together as a family gathered in his name to remember his command for us, which we celebrate every Sunday. Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is given for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. Here we notice the special significance that Jesus teaches us in John 6. He is the vicarious atonement for our sins. There on the cross, Jesus stood in our place. Here on the cross, Jesus died for us so that we, believing in him, can inherit eternal life. He is the vicarious atonement, the vicarious sacrifice for our sins against God. Thirdly, Jesus is available for all who know of him. That gives us a special incentive, doesn't it, friends, to evangelize in our own way to others around us. We may not be blessed or be equipped for the big evangelistic rallies of uh, 100,000 or 20,000, but we may just be perfect to be used by our Lord in the one-to-one -one evangelism or the one-to-two or the one-to-few evangelism to our, our families and friends and office colleagues. Whatever our gifting, we are to make Christ known. However, when we are doing this, we are to be aware that while Jesus is available to all who know of him, not everyone will want anything to do with him. Some will just reject him and turn away from him. For only those, Jesus teaches us, for only those who are drawn to him and given to him by God the Father will come to him and be saved. And not one single one who is so drawn to him and given to Jesus will be lost, but will be raised up by him on that last day to eternal life. This gives us great comfort as over the past week, we hear, we read of this pastor who has been kidnapped for some reason or another and still haven't been found. It gives us great comfort to know that we can draw on the strength of chapter 6, to know that none who has been given to Jesus will be lost, whatever happens in this temporal life. 
So friends, I would like you to take back this comfort as well this evening as we leave here. In closing, let's pray. I thank you, Lord, for your grace, your mercy, and your peace upon us. Thank you for giving Jesus Christ to be our atoning sacrifice for our sins. And thank you for giving us to your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that your Spirit will guide us to be worthy of this, your blessing, not only in this life, but in the life to come. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.